Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Ready to jump in? We're gonna we'll shift into uh, a message. Last week we started a series, a little bit of an odd topic. If you're if you're uh, you know either not accustomed to being a part of our church or we rarely talk about it, it was the spiritual practice of fasting. We talked about it last week. So if you were here last week, then you kind of got a glimpse of where we're headed, and it was great to see people just engage. Some of the conversations I had and others had with each other, and even uh, a group opened up in Opro this week that kind of also went further into the topic. And so today we're gonna add another layer of, of, of fasting, but maybe also another outcome of that. Uh, but if you weren't here, maybe it's, you're going to come into like a discussion that we've just started last week. So I'd encourage you to go back and either watch the video or listen to the podcast uh, and we'll, you know, that'll help you kind of get, get, in, get connected to the bigger theme. But two things we talked about last week. One is this idea that fasting can naturally allow us to align our bodies to, with our soul, like align the hunger points that we sometimes will feel during a fast, a fast of food, and we outlined that last week, kind of aligning that hunger to the hunger we ultimately have in our heart for God, and how the practice of fasting can really help us align that and help us move in that direction so we can grow in what we talked about last week, the theme of devotion. The second thing we talked about last week is this idea how fasting is like a catalyzer. It can multiply, it's like a multiplying effect, and it can clear the way for our mind, for our heart, um, for our very being to get engaged. And we, th- this is true physically, right? And so physically, there's some studies that show that when, when people will engage in certain kinds of fasts, because not all fasts are healthy for us, but certain kinds of fasts that can increase their beta- metabolism. Some people don't need their metabolism to be increased. I'm one of the people that do need my metabolism to be increased. So that's a, that's a helpful thing. But it could lead physically, studies show it can lead to healthier eating habits to prevent food from dominating us. Um, food isn't an enemy, definitely. But some foods are not our friends, right? Some foods are not our friends. The kind of chips we, like the, the 275 gram bag of chips you can plow through in a movie. That's, maybe that's just me. Like I just can do that. So that's not all foods are bad, but some foods aren't our friends. Um, when someone fasts before a blood test, there's a purpose, right? It kind of just cleans, like allows your blood to clean itself a little bit so there's less particles in there so they can take a clean blood test from you. So there's like some physical studies. Some, uh, some studies on mental health, like after the headaches and some of the um, frustration subsides, our body cleanses toxins. And then our brain has access to a cleaner bloodstream. And that just helps us with our thinking, with our memory, uh, with our sharpness. Um, Rick Warren uh, had partnered with a doctor called Dr. Amen, and they did a book together uh, on the Daniel fast. There's other people who've written about this, this fast that is outlined particularly in the book of Daniel in the scriptures. But what, like, four or five benefits from this was that, one, it's like when we fast, it takes out toxins in our brain. It's like, it's like taking out the trash. And that ends up leading to some improved things. After four weeks, our memory can be improved. Not four weeks of fasting in a row, uh, fully. I just mean, like, of the practice of it. After three months, our moods can get brightened and change. Uh, It can reduce inflammation, which helps our brains. It can stabilize our blood sugar, and less fat and a healthy heart actually becomes a healthy brain. And so it's it, it has this, also this mental and emotional effect on us. And so I, I just share these things because I want us to notice how fasting can actually catalyze our body for something better. 
and including spiritually. And that's where we obviously want to get to today because we can be tempted to use fasting as just a physical diet when there's a spiritual component to this that we want to get to that we're learning about this month. So here's the question. Have you ever struggled to pray, to read Scripture, to get out of bed for an environment that you know will help you grow spiritually because you're either lethargic, tired, or not in the mood? There's um, a writer, his name is Frank Viola. He's a Christian writer, and he often speaks, and he says he always either eats very light or very little before he speaks because he wants to be fully present to the people that he's with and to God's Spirit in the moment. And he notices that when he overeats before he speaks, he can't think as clearly, and he's not as present uh, in the moment. And so without realizing it, here's the thing, and I've noticed this, we can become slaves to our own bodies, we can become slaves to our own bodies and in, in, in the things we consume and the things we do. And there's this passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul um, writes to a, a church in Corinth in the first century. And this church in Corinth was an odd church uh, among the churches that Paul wrote to. They, they were really problematic. Uh, they were one of the most difficult churches we read about in the New Testament. And um, there, there's um, some research that say there could have been a, a third or fourth letter to the Corinthians, and Paul would have just told them how angry he was at them. Like, that's how, like, that's how sometimes messed up they were. But we, we see this happening, and, and I want to read this text. I think it's so helpful for what we're talking about today. So listen to it. Chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this is a big text, and we're not going to look through every part of it, and there's some themes in there that are not, we're not going to dive into today. But part of the, the heart of, of what Paul is saying here, and he starts it off, right? He says, everything's lawful. Everything generally can be okay. In other words, it's not a sin or wrong to eat a piece of cake or drink a glass of wine. Uh, it's not wrong to, to you know, enjoy certain kinds of, of entertainment in some respects. But he's saying, what is beneficial? What's, what's most helpful? And Paul, who's encouraging this church, who somehow got out of touch with how their body and life were connected... They were involved in things, primarily sexually immoral things, that they weren't seeing the connection between what God was doing in their heart and what they were doing with their bodies. And Paul's like saying, there's a connection here with your body and your soul. They were plagued with, you know, spiraling into immoral behavior. And so that's partly or the main reason Paul is writing to them just in this passage where he's trying to get to the heart of this, of the kind of activities that they were involved in. But at, at, at the basic level, he's saying, don't let anything dominate you. Don't let anything have control over you. So I just asked the question, what kind of, what kind of food or drink dominates you? 
Again, this is not saying that you can't, you know, eat something or, or drink something or whatever, but I love Paul's words, mastering. What master, what's a master over you? What dominates you? How many of you guys know Tom Holland, the guy who played Spider-Man in the last Spider-Man movies? Um, he's, you know, he's, he's quite young, and uh, especially when he played those movies. And he, he had talks about this in an interview where he became overly dependent on alcohol to have a good time with friends or at a party. So he was invited to parties, and especially in his world, you know, where there's a party here, a gala there, some kind of, you know, award ceremony. And he, he found it, like, he became so dependent that he had to have a drink in his hand to have a good time with friends, and he found it hard to be at a party without a drink in his hand. So he just getting frustrated with that and with himself, and he tried to stay off of that for a whole month, and it started to, at first it started to irritate him, and uh, he, he didn't know what to do when he was talking with people. Then he said, you know, man, this is like touching something inside of me. Let me try for a couple more months. And then he said, you know, I'm turning, like my birthday's coming up in six months. Let me go right to my birthday and see how I feel uh, by the end of that. And then after he pushed through the irritation and the anxiety until he was able to be with friends and not hold a drink in his hand. He wasn't saying drinking is all bad. You know, we would say drink, drinking in moderation is okay. Drinking in an abusive way is abusive and is harmful for us, right? So, but he pushed until he was able to be with friends and not feel like he could not have a good time without a drink in his hand. And that was interesting to me, just to hear him, hear him say that, describe that like, hey, this is lawful, like Paul says, but is it beneficial for me? And maybe particularly for him, it was a real struggle. So he had to deal with what was mastered, mastering over him. You guys know I love coffee. I love a good espresso. And I came to realize as I was getting older that I should not have an espresso like past five or six o'clock. Otherwise, I can't sleep. Uh, and it just, you know, it, I'm not, a, it's not good for me, right? Unless I plan out with hanging out with friends or something and I know it's going to be a late night, then I don't mind having it later. So I stopped having caffeine generally after five o'clock. But then I, I was reading, you know, seeing about my day and how alert I am in my day. And I was reading how it's, it's not great. To, it's not good to have a coffee first thing in the morning, how you should wait 60 to maybe 120 minutes before you have a coffee. And the reason is there's this gland in our brain that needs to release some kind of, of uh, liquid that allows us to later on function in our day. And when you have coffee first thing in the morning, it stunts that gland from opening up and releasing that. So when you have coffee that early, you end up feeling lethargic at 10, 11 o'clock or after lunch. I'm like, oh, but I love coffee. And so, so then my solution was I started to have hot water with you know, lemon and other stuff for, for the first hour, 90 minutes of my day, and then I would have coffee. And I'm like, but you know, what's an espresso lover like me going to do? I felt like my love for coffee was now hit at night and in the morning. It got squished into like, now I can have coffee for six hours in the day or something, and that's about it. But that's the reality, because even in my own love for coffee, I have to ask myself, well, am I going to do something that's unbeneficial for me? Like, or does this dominate me as much as I love a really good espresso? And Paul reminds us, our body is a member of Jesus Christ, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and Paul is getting at this idea, especially here, things like immorality, sexual desire, outside of marriage, uncontrolled anger, impatience, other patterns. But at, at the heartbeat, he's saying, if anything dominates you, you're a slave to it. You're a slave to it. Jesus says something similar. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In John 8, he continues, he says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
And I think that's the heart of what we see in some of these passages. So I ask the question to us, to me, what might be enslaving you? What has a hold on you? And how can you participate in a practice that you allow the Lord to work in the middle of that to break what dominates you, to break what has mastery over you, to break something that maybe is not bad in and of itself. Maybe there is some things that are, are bad in and of itself, but either of those things where it's like, do any of these things dominate me? Do they have control over me? And last week we talked about how fasting leads to feasting on God. And today I want to lean on this idea that fasting can lead to freedom. Not just feasting on God, but freedom from the things that dominate us or, for, for, or from the things that hinder us or become obstacles in us feasting on God towards living this abundant life that Jesus longs for us. And fasting has this ability, it's this catalyzing effect when we, when we bring this before the Lord and allow Him to work in it. And like we said last week as we looked at the words of Jesus, this is not a law, this is nothing forced that you have to do it on this day or this day or for this amount of time, but we do see it as a practice in Jesus' life, Apostle Paul's life, other people in Scripture, throughout church history for various good reasons. Dallas Willard says this, that fasting teaches us self-control and therefore teaches moderation and restraint in regard to control of our fundamental drives. Kind of thinking back to what Paul says, everything's lawful, but is everything beneficial? What dominates your life? Willard, after, after a life of, of learning and following Jesus and practicing various spiritual disciplines, says fasting teaches us self-control and therefore teaches us moderation and restraint with regard to control of our fundamental drives. Because here's the thing, we might, this, this, or this might have dominance over us, and we're wrestling with that. Somehow when we fast and we recognize how obviously we need food, we want food, food is not bad, but when we f fast and pause for that moment, what we're doing is we're recognizing, oh, just like, just like we need this thing, I'm, I'm taking a break from it, I'm stopping it, I'm, I'm pressing stop here, then these other things become these areas where we say, oh, I, I can have dominance over that through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's partly what fasting does and how it catalyzes Here's what, what Paul says, not about fasting, but towards, I think, the benefits of this whole trajectory in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Read this one off the screen because it's from the NRSV. Here's what Paul says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such a good phrase in this letter that Paul writes. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, the purpose of this freedom that fasting can help us lead to is this heart, is a heart for holiness. Paul's language here, he doesn't say the word holy, but he says the word sanctity or sanctify. He talks about being kept sound. He talks about being blameless or, or a life that is open before the Lord and that, you know, we, we grow in a sense of what it means to reflect his kingdom. Paul's not using the word holiness, but he's using language that describes holiness because holiness is being set apart. And sanctity means it's, a, it's this quality of being holy. It's the sense of being sacred because holiness means to set apart a life for a purpose. 
That's what holiness means. Sometimes we want to have a list of things that we say are holy, this, this, and this. And that list can be good or bad. Sometimes it can be legalistic. Sometimes it can be overbearing to people. But if we just, just put the list aside for a second and consider that holiness ultimately means being set apart for something, being set apart for God's purposes, we're not so needy of a list because our heartbeat is to be set apart for God's purposes. And some of those things on that former list is like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't need that. This is unhealthy. But it's not because it's on the list. It's because our, our lives have been set apart for a divine purpose. Paul says, may God sanctify you. May he make you holy and set you apart. And so I ask this question, are we hungry for God to set us apart? Are we hungry for God to make us holy? Are we hungry for God to, to form us into an instrument for his purposes? Or are we just, you know, hungry and happy to, like, receive Jesus and, you know, have an eternal life? Oh, I'm content with that. But that's not the heartbeat of the kingdom. That's a wonderful benefit of the kingdom. But the heartbeat is God loves you and longs for you to be involved in his purposes and experience the life of his kingdom. And that means sanctifying you, setting you apart towards holiness. And fasting can catalyze or a breakthrough of whatever dominates us. Richard Foster, in his book on spiritual disciplines, he kind of gives this, this example with anger. And he says, when you fast, like we said last week, like the first time you fast or the first few times or if it, you try for a longer period of time, you're going to get irritated. And you're probably going to get angry or you're going to get hangry, right? So, so we, we, get, we get angry with that. And so I love what Foster says. He says, at first... You recognize anger and you think, oh, it's because of the food that I'm not eating. But as you continue this practice of fasting, you realize, oh, there's another anger I haven't really addressed. It has nothing to do with the food, but there's something inside me that I need to address. And that practice of fasting helps us move past the anger and frustration of not eating to discerning that there's other stuff inside of us that God wants to deal with and move towards and we surrender to him, and then we find healing from, right? That's the heart of it. And so there's some of us here, I know that there's many of us here, and I'd say, well, really, all of us are included in this. God longs to do so much more in you and me than we can even imagine. God longs to do so much more in you and me and in us as a church, but there's obstacles in our mind and in our heart and in our actions that still lack alignment to God's vision, to God's purposes. And the practice of fasting coupled with this heartbeat that we read in these scriptures can work together towards that. That's why I love the, Paul's use of words here, the word entirely. May God sanctify you entirely, fully, completely. And then he moves to this, and this is what he means in this next part of the verse, entirely. In other words, may your spirit and your soul, and your body, that feels like entirely, right? <laughs> may, your, may your spirit and your soul and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as we anticipate the coming of Jesus, as we anticipate new creation, as we anticipate God's future that will fully reflect his kingdom and his vision, 
There's this heart, you know, may, may our spirit and our soul and our body be kept sound. And I love that word sound, not just because it rhyme, it's also starts with S, sanctity, but it does, it does remind us to be sound is to be complete. To be sound is to be ready. To be sound is to be fully aware, right? So we would be kept sound. And now go back to some of the physical and mental benefits of fasting. Think about that. Consider some of the benefits, thinking, sharpness, memory, attentiveness, brain health. I don't know about you, but I recognize that the lack of those things don't work in my favor when I, as I want to grow in Christ and as I want to be attentive to the, to, the, to the Spirit of God and to the people around me. When I lack those things, they actually keep me from growing in that way. And so being kept sound, think about that, our thinking, our sharpness, our mind, our attentiveness. So what if fasting, periodically or regularly, prepares you to be ready for whatever life brings you? Prepares you to be ready for the life that God is shaping you for? Prepares you to be ready for, to fulfill His purposes? Prepares you to be ready to minister to someone, ready to be fully present with your family and friends, ready to be fully present to his presence, ready to serve him wherever, ready at work when an issue comes up and you can reflect God's vision and kingdom purposes there because you're of sound mind and heart and attentive and you're not just looking at the business goals, but you're looking at the people around you and you're looking at the company and you're looking at your own heart and you're looking at what God's kingdom could look like even in this pocket. Wouldn't that be incredible? I think that's the heart of it. And what if fasting can prepare us to be ready for those things in life, to set us apart, keeping us sound? And that's why, as we think about this today, fasting can lead to freedom. Fasting can lead to freedom as it catalyzes our spirit, our soul, our body, including our minds. Paul had a Jewish background, and it's very possible that he was thinking about the Jewish word nefesh, which is the word for soul. But the word nefesh doesn't just mean soul. In, in, for the Jews, it meant mind, body, and spirit. When, when a Jew talked about the nefesh or the soul, they saw the whole being, our whole being. And so as we think through this, we, want, we, want, we pray for breakthrough for whatever dominates any part of our being our whole being, so we can grow in sanctification and we can grow in being people of sound mind, body, and spirit. And we, we look back, like think about Jesus' time of fasting in, in the wilderness. So, I mean, he's obscure for 30 years. He gets baptized. He, he just is reminded of his identity with, with the love he has from his father, he hears God's voice. This is my son whom I love and well, in whom I'm well pleased. And then the gospel writers tell us that the Holy Spirit sent him to the desert. The Holy Spirit sent him into the wilderness for 40 days. The Holy Spirit sent him into this time of testing. And f he's fasting from food, not from water. He's fasting. And so in this moment of fasting, we know that Jesus is without sin. We know that. But he's confronted with the kind of dominating ideas that Satan would throw our way. He's confronted with the kind of temptations and forces that we all face and will face if we haven't faced them yet in varying degrees. 
And somehow he was confronted with them while he's fasting in this moment of perceived weakness, in this moment of he's not eating and he's just relying on water. He's just kind of making it day by day. It's in this moment where Satan comes and tests him and tempts him and brings these obstacles and he's being tempted by the very things that can have mastery over his life or our life. Now we know that Jesus was one without sin, but that's not us. And yet in that moment, when the devil tempts him with food and with fame and with security, Jesus demonstrates something so powerful for us that in this practice of fasting, he breaks the power of Satan in those moments that Satan would use to dominate him or dominate us, right? And God set him apart. God... God gave him, you know, or in, Jesus moved forward with a sound mind. He's launched into God's purposes. That's what holiness looks like. Holiness is not just a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is a preparedness as God sets us apart so we're ready for God's purposes. And part of God's purposes includes the people in your life. Part of God's purposes includes you being present fully to the people in your life, whether you're married or have kids or single it's the people in our lives that we long to be present for. It's God's voice that wants to lead us in various pockets of our life. And I'm so grateful when we see this model in Jesus' life and we see the kind of temptations, attacks, um, ideologies, ideas, desires that Satan brings to him. It's in this practice of fasting we can see that these things break. And I'm not sure about you, but that's something I, I long for. Because some of the things that Jesus was tempted for, uh, with, I'm tempted with. Even as a pastor on a daily basis throughout um, serving God and or just, you know, serving my family or being who I am as a, as a man, a person, a spouse, a friend, a parent, a pastor. These are things that constantly um, come towards us to test us. And I want to be the kind of person that grows in sanctity and sound mind to be ready for them and also to not allow them to have domination over me as I walk with the Lord. I can ask the band to come up as we want to come to a close, but I just I ask this question as we slowly move to, the, to wrapping this up. Do you hunger for holiness? Do you hunger for this? Like, do you hunger to be set apart when we read this, where Paul's praying for this church, may God, the God of peace, sanctify you. Like, that's part, part of Paul's prayer for these Christ followers. May God sanctify you. May he set you apart. May he make you holy and form you. Are you hungry to be set apart? Are you hungry to be sanctified? Are you hungry to grow in holiness? Are you hungry, here's the thing, to be a, a, an available instrument in God's hands for however he wants to use you? And are you hungry for a sound mind? This is something that our culture needs so much today. Our culture is in desperate need of people with a sound mind. Our culture is in desperate need of people with a sense of soundness, a sense of readiness, a sense of, of attentiveness, a sense of being tuned in to the moment, to people, to what's going on culturally, in our lives, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. So we can walk through life with clarity of mind, with discernment, so we can distinguish, we can distinguish the things around us and the distractions around us. And, and so what if fasting is one of those practices that we rarely consider 
as one of the keys to growing in this part of our spiritual walk. Why, why, let's, jump, let's use it. Let's jump into it. Let's allow this practice to catalyze the other spiritual practices or our heart for the Lord. John Wesley said in the 1800s, he said, why are we not more holy? And he answered the question, because we are enthusiasts looking for an end without a means. We're enthusiasts looking for an end without a means. We want to be sanctified. We want a sound mind. We want to be set apart. But do we want the means or the path towards it, Wesley said. And I think what we're going to find when we grow in this area of fasting and coupled with the name for holiness, like we said last week, don't fast to be a spiritual poser. Don't fast just so people know you're fasting. Don't fast just to look good. Don't fast just because, you know, we, we see a, you know, even a pattern of it in history. We, we, we long to fast so we can feast on God. We long to fast to grow in freedom, but don't make it a religious ritual. Let it be coupled with a name for holiness. When it's a religious ritual, you're going to break off the aim for holiness. It's not really going to work. But I believe what we're going to find when we fast, coupled with holiness, is a hungry for examination. You're going to be hungry for examination. You're going to want God and even community to examine you, to say, show me where I'm, I'm detouring. You're going you're to welcome formation and you're going to, in the end, experience transformation. You're going to experience transformation. And I, I, I come back to Foster's idea, right? Like when he talks about we can get angry in our fasting, but then we slowly realize, oh, I'm angry. It's not because of the food. That's examination. And then as we grow, that's formation. And then as we begin to live it, that's transformation. And so here's my, my invitation to practice this week is... Um, you know, as you, would you just attempt fasting one more time? Some of you have chatted with you, and we didn't make it a big deal or didn't plaster it all over social media, but there's a few people who felt convicted and prompted to, to move in this direction, to try this practice. And I didn't encourage you. Again, here's the way to practice it. Choose a day. Just choose one day this week uh, from when you wake up in the morning till you would eat supper at night. So it's kind of like 24 hours from after you eat the night before till you eat supper the next day, drinking lots of water because it's really, really important. But here's my invitation to you. If you've, if you've decided last week or you're deciding this week to just slowly begin implementing this practice, and if you struggle with, you know, uh, morning till 6 p.m., you might want to say lunch or you might want to say 3 p.m. But here's, here's my invitation that you would just include this, and it's on the screen. It's Psalm 139. Because we're talking about holiness, and we're talking about formation, and we're talking about transformation. That's the hopeful outcome in this. And so when, if you're going to fast, now even if you don't fast, you can still do this. But here's, I think, the posture of what we're getting at today as we allow this to shape what we long for. This is the psalm writer says this, search me, O God. You guys can start if you'd like. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search me, examine me, God. Know my heart. You can see everything about me. Test me. Everything's available to you, God. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or wicked way in me. 
and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's examination, that's formation, that's transformation. And so I include you to think about, use this text, maybe these themes, as you begin to practice this spiritual practice. And as I said, even if you don't practice fasting, you can take time throughout your day and week to reflect on this for the same purposes. We're just saying that fasting is a great catalyzer. So how hungry are you for this? Um, just before I invite you to, to reflect and with this next song and we close in prayer, I came across a story about a, a man from the previous century, actually the previous, previous century from the 1800s. Every, his name was Robert Chapman. And I'm wondering if he's maybe the ancestor of the Chapman Ice Cream Company. We've got to find that out. His name is Robert Chapman. Every Saturday, he was known to spend in his workshop fasting. So, you know, he took all his other priorities during the week with family and friends and work and such and maybe ministry and such. But he chose Saturdays as a day to spend in his workshop fasting. And he, he was just deeply present with God. He found delight in his workshop as well. He rested in God's presence. He sought the Lord. He prayed. And there was something beautiful that was going on. Now, now some said when they visited him like, like an emergency visit and he wasn't ready for them, they said that when they visited his workshop, his like Face was glowing. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. I, I, so I'm not doubting that, but that's not the point because very possible that as you're present with the Lord, your demeanor, just, you know, your posture just looks different to people. But what really caught my attention, whether his face glowed or not, was this, that people said of him, you know, he doesn't only talk of the heavenlies, he lives in them. People, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, said he's one of the saintliest men I've ever known. And he was known to live frugally in a poor area of town so he could be present, serving, and loving the poor. So whether his face glowed or not is really not the point. The point is that what kind of life with his heart for holiness coupled with this catalyzer of fasting his heart for the Lord and devotion, what slowly started to shape in him and the fruit of his life that grew from that. Isn't that incredible? That's our heart. What might God want to do deeper in you today? I'll just leave you with that question. What might God want to do in your life in a deeper way today? The team's going to sing just a, a phrase of one of the songs we sang before. The, that just as a, it, words that help us offer our lives before the Lord. So I'm going to just invite you, as we've been, I've, I've given you some questions to think about, to hopefully just prompt our hearts to long for more of God. As we've immersed ourselves in some of these scriptures this morning. And as these words come out, maybe you, maybe you don't want to sing them at first. Maybe you just want to let them kind of sing over you so you hear them and you might want to reflect do I really want to lay my life down do I really want to give my all do I really want to surrender everything let's take a few moments just lean into this
before him if you feel like you need prayer our prayer teams here on the side you can even go over as we're singing or while we're praying at the end or after the gathering but let's just just before we pray and close this time together let's just allow these words to be the the prayer of our own heart i lift my hands up lay my whole life down before you Father, we just come fully before you this morning. Oh God, sanctify us entirely. Soul, body, mind, and spirit. Sanctify us. Set us apart. God, give us hunger and a vision to be instruments in your hand, in your vision, in your kingdom. God, give us such a hunger that we would recognize and notice by the discernment of your spirit anything, anything, whether it's lawful or not, anything, whether it's good or bad, that would hinder, long to dominate us. Oh God, free us free us through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit because we long to be people who grow in being your set-apart people. Oh God, and I just pray for 
so many here that are longing for a sound mind, a sound spirit, in a culture of distraction, in a culture of distortion, in a culture of busyness. Oh God, we long to be people that are kept sound so we can be attentive to you and your voice so we can be attentive to how you call us to love you and love others, so we can be attentive to our family and friends, to our coworkers and neighbors, to our children, for your glory, God. And God, for anyone here who is just wrestling with even a next step, this may be a message like this would have been overwhelming for them, God, as they're considering who you are and what it means to follow Jesus. God, I just pray that you would just help them know in their own hearts and minds that you're, just, you're inviting them this morning even just to one step of surrender to you to allow you to lead their lives. Help us to be a community who helps them journey as all of us journey towards you. In your precious name we pray today. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace. Peace.